as I said, we have we've had some injuries that have had affected results, but we have a competitive team. We have a team good enough to be winning these games. Phil Neville's time as inter Miami head coach has come to an unceremonious end, raising questions as to what his legacy with the team is and what comes next. Hello, everyone. Hola a todos. Welcome to Miami Total Football Radio, a bilingual inter-Miami-focused podcast where the beautiful game collides with passion and analysis. Here we provide you with all the latest team news, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much more via a team of seasoned South Florida-based reporters. My name is Franco Penizo, one of your usual co-hosts. First off, I want to say apologies to the returning and usual listeners for going on a one-week hiatus. We initially planned to have a show last week, but with the holiday... Mid-game, or mid-week game, and Thursday news, it proved too challenging. So, Miami Total Football Radio, listeners, we are sorry, and we will do our best to make sure that does not happen again. Our plea for forgiveness aside, joining me on this week's sure-to-be jam-packed show are both of our other co-hosts, Jose Armando, a.k.a. Island Jose, Sometimes still known as Cinco and Andrea Yanes, aka Aji Sita. We'll start with Andrea first this time. Andrea, how are you doing on this fine Monday night? Hello, Franco. Hello, Jose. I'm happy to be here. I'm ready to talk shop because we have a lot of things to discuss. We have a new coach, uh, but the same Inter Miami. So it's going to be a packed episode. We're going to give our opinions on everything that happened. I'm eager to start, so let's do it. Jose, how are you doing on this fine Monday evening? I'm doing all right, doing all right, and excited about the the, um, the pod because you know it's one thing to do, you know, after you know such important news for the team, it's one thing to do a show right away, you know, just to be aware and present in in such an important moment, but it's it's important as well to. You know, cool down a little bit, think, think, think everything through, and uh, I think that's that's what we're going to provide here tonight. So, I think it's going to be a good one. It should be a good one because we've got to talk about Phil Neville's departure as interim Miami coach, Javier Morales's appointment as interim manager. What comes next for this South Florida side? The recent games because we've missed. A few. I mean, it's been a jam-packed schedule for Inter-Miami. continues to be a jam-packed schedule for Inter-Miami. So we've got a few games to quickly, quickly touch on, as well as preview Wednesday's U.S. Open Cup quarterfinals match for Inter-Miami. And, of course, our Q&A session at the very, very end. So all the pleasantries aside, let's not waste any second. Let's get to it. All right, listeners. So before we get to... The biggest news item, which is, of course, Phil Neville's firing, we have to talk about very quickly what led to that, right? Because it's been, well, I guess, two weeks since we've recorded a pod, given our absence last week. So there's been three games that have taken place since then. So the first of those three happened while I was in Colombia. I know Jose and Andrea are going to make their jokes, but I did watch the game from a potential illegal or non-illegal stream i don't know i you know i won't confirm nor deny those reports but i watched the game in medellin 
while I was over there. Inter Miami came out in a 4-2-3-1 formation against CF Montreal at Stade Saputo on May 27th. Drake Callender in goal. DeAndre Yedlin, Serhi Kristoff, Kamal Miller, and Franco Negri were the players in the back four. The first line of the midfield, Ian Frey and Dixon Arroyo, second line of the midfield. Corentin Jean, Benjamin Kremaski as the 10, and Robert Taylor on the left. Up top, Leonardo Campana. Inter-Miami lost that game 1-0 on the road. Chinonso 0-4 with the game winner in the 53rd minute. Inter-Miami at that point had 14 goals in 14 MLS matches, which clearly is one goal per game, which clearly is not a great haul. Andrea, your thoughts on the 1-0 loss to CF Montreal for Inter-Miami up in Canada. I already know that the words Ariel Lasseter are going to come out of your mouth. Well, yeah, and let me say that uh, the first half Inter-Miami were really lucky that Romel Kyoto is injured and, oh and out because, man, if Kyoto was there, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? <laughs> All joking aside, uh, the same problems that Inter-Miami uh, keep having the, they didn't get. They got a couple of opportunities, and they they, they didn't capitalize. And well, uh, I guess Ari came in, and and he came in and assisted for the goal. Montreal gets the point. I get. I guess they they deserved it. The three points. Was, the three. Points. The three points. The three points. Yes, sorry. And they deserve it because that first they were better that first half. Inter Miami was again lost on the field. They got better on the second half with some changes. But I think it's clear that we we watched that game and we could see that they were having problems and problems and problems, the same problems. And after that defeat, I think um, it proved to be the, the beginning of the end because after that, I guess players didn't believe in the coach anymore. And that is why they played against New York Red Bull the way they did. And uh, I'm happy for Ariel Lassiter, man, and Bryce Stoke also. They, pro- they could say that they proved their point by helping their team win. You could say it that way. But anyway, I think Inter Miami had more chances or better quality chances than they've been creating had, or had been creating up until that point. But it wasn't like they had a, an abundance of clear-cut chances. There was a Robert Taylor shot in the first half that he pulls wide off of a nice one-two with Leo Campana uh, that you probably would expect Robert Taylor to do better on. He should have done better. There is another shot, if I'm not mistaken, in the first half. Corentin John is wide open inside the penalty area, and you have to put that one away. Absolutely have to put that one away. And he places it too close to the goalkeeper, and the save is made, and he he wastes that chance. That one absolutely is unforgivable. You know, if I was if I was Phil Neville, uh, I would have had a, a big big talking to Corinton John after that game because I probably would have pulled my hair out. Um, then in the second half, you know, you have those two shots late on that hit the post. One was from Stefanelli from distance. It was a good shot, but it's a, it's a long shot from distance. Uh, you can't. You're not going to expect many of those to 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 go in on a regular basis. And then you had another shot from Benjamin Kremaski from the right, which hit the post, the near post. Goalkeeper almost got caught cheating there. I mean, you could say it was uh, some bad luck there, but also, again, goalkeeper normally has his front post covered, normally, especially from the angle that Kremaski was in. So they had some chances. They were better in that in that aspect. I think they probably deserved something from the game. Nonetheless, in the end, they lost, and the losing streak extended to three games. 
at that point. Three games. Then came Wednesday. Here we go. This was a big one. Last Wednesday, Inter-Miami returned home to play the New York Red Bulls at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And Inter-Miami suffered a 1-0 defeat. Goal from Tom Barlow in the 52nd minute. So an identical result, although a different venue. That extended Inter-Miami's losing streak to four matches in league play. And it marked their fourth loss of the season at home. So their fourth home loss, to put more simply. This was the starting lineup for Inter-Miami playing in a 4-4-2. You could look at it as a 4-2-2-2 if you want. But this was the 11. Drake Callender in goal. DeAndre Yedlin, Serhi Kristoff, Kamal Miller, and Franco Negri, the usual suspects at the back. The two holding midfielders were David Ruiz and Dixon Arroyo. And then in slightly wider positions, Benjamin Kremaski on the right, Nicola Stefanelli on the left. Up top, you had the duo, the striker duo of Leonardo Campana and Joseph Martinez. This one we'll touch on in a little more detail. Not a full-on analysis, but in a little more detail because I think it, it deserves that. So we'll start with Jose. We will talk about the stands and the fan reaction and all of that. But just in terms of the game, the analysis of the match, your biggest takeaway or takeaways? Well, you know, I think the first half was a nightmare. I mean, it was a nightmare to watch. You know, both sides, I think they were... You know, just not good enough. And, you know, they, they, they showed why they are outside the playoff picture. And, um, you know, they just didn't have enough. Um, second half, you know, as uh, uh, the Red Bulls get on the board, um, you know, the most, the most concerning thing to me at that point was that Inter-Miami, you know, didn't show any sense of urgency at all. And, you know, when you're going through a tough stretch, you're not winning games, you're at home, you're playing against a team that's in the bottom of the table as well. I would assume, you know, that is the point where players should react and just realize, no, this is not going to happen. We're not going to drop a game against the Red Bulls at home. There's no way that's going to happen. Just We just need to find a way to win this game, to turn things around. And... I, I didn't get that feeling at all. I didn't get that feeling. And I asked Phil after in the press conference, and and he agreed with me in a sense, right? Because he said, you know, the goal was a big blow and blah, blah, blah. Then I asked the same thing to DeAndre Yetlin, and DeAndre Yetlin didn't agree with me at all. I, I don't think he liked the question. But, you know, I could tell that players were thinking one way and the head coach was thinking in a completely different way. So, to me, that's where, you know, things started to add up. Hmm. There was a disconnect. Obviously, there was a disconnect, right? Yeah, there's, there's a disconnect. There's also, you know, the situation with, with the supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one more thing that was very concerning to me and that showed me that, you know, it, it was cl- we were close to the end. You know, it's when Phil makes a decision to bring in Harvey. And... You know, that moment, you know, as much as I can criticize the fans for doing that, because Harvey, Harvey's Harvey and Phil is Phil, you know. But 
I thought Phil made the wrong decision by putting in his own son on the field because of all the nepotism talks. He He's aware of that. You know, he was aware of that. So I think he did put Harvey, you know, in a position where there was no benefit for him. Because he knew Harvey, Harvey, he knew Harvey wouldn't turn things around, you know. Um, and then again, he's a defensive player. And then he makes the decision, you know, if, if you look into into things tactically, you know, Harvey comes in for Kristoff. And then, you know, DeAndre Yetlin plays as a center back. So, I mean, it makes no sense at all to do that. <laughs> so, Jose, so, look, I, I, from a football standpoint, from a soccer standpoint, I think I can see what Phil is trying to do or was trying to do, whether we agree or disagree. I think I see what he was trying to do, which is give someone, put in someone at right back that can inject a little bit more dangerous play in the final third. Like Again, whether you agree with that, disagree with that. Franco, La Cava. Jose. La Cava was He was there, Jose. Yeah. Jose. So, again, I'm giving, I'm giving you what I think the thought is. I'm not telling you I agree or disagree. Espérate, espérate. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. He burned it. Hold on. Hold on. I think what the football soccer idea is, okay, there's not many options on the bench, right? You could say La Cava. Okay, besides La Cava, was there anybody left on the bench? Uh, that could that could come well, into that game at that point. La Cava was the right choice. Right, but okay, but so there's one. That's it's not. It's not like it's not like there was a plethora or an abundance of options for Phil Neville there in that game. Nonetheless, I'm just telling you what I think the idea was. I think the idea was to have a right back because DeAndre Yedlin and someone said this at the most recent game. They were like DeAndre Yedlin gets forward, but that doesn't mean he attacks. He just gets forward. Right? He doesn't, he's not necessarily the best crosser of the ball. He's not necessarily a player that takes people one-on-one on the dribble. So yes, he projects forward and he can get forward and serve as a passing option. But how often is he actually dangerous when he gets forward? Right, And I think that's where the distinction is between, well, he gets forward, but he doesn't attack. Like, I think that's so you expected to have so I, I'm not telling you what attack. I expect. I'm, th- I'm telling you what I think. I'm telling you what I think Phil Neville's idea was. Is to, to Harvey Neville, I think, ha- is a better crosser of the ball. I'm not saying he's. No. I'm not saying he's an incredible crosser of the ball, but I think he's a better crosser of the ball than DeAndre. Yen. That's just my well, my my my, was, my opinion. You know. So, but I agree I, with you. I, I, I agree with you that the stuff. optics are bad. The optics are bad. You, when he's the you, fifth you sub... You could see that he, was, he knew that the end was coming, and he didn't care, and he did that to his son. That says a lot about uh, him. See, I don't see it that way. Listen, I don't see it that it way. Just, I, I think, yeah, I don't see it that way. I think he was just desperate, you know, at yes, that point. But, and but we have, seen, have, we have seen Phil, we have seen Phil, you know, you know what happened in press conferences, and, and we, we when he's under pressure... Um, you know, he just reacts a certain way, and sometimes he doesn't think things through. And and I think maybe that that was the case. You know, he felt a lot of pressure, and at that point, you know, he for some reason he thought that was the lo que se vino a la cabeza, the right lo, lo que se le vino a la cabeza, like se inventó yeah. cualquier cosa, and, se inventó cualquier cosa. And he, yeah, he was five minutes away. He needed two goals because Especially I think he after the fans had already taken out the banner, like what? Why? You are losing. You're at home. Why would you make a change for a defender when you have a player that can is an attacking player on your bench? I, for I think me, he realized he made a mistake 
once Harvey was on the field already. Yes, when, when, when it was too late. Yes. Everything, you know, and, and listen, I, I'm not a dad, I'm not a father, a father, but, you know, I, I would assume that that was, that took him away from the game at that point, you know, because he just made the, the substitution. Um, Harvey, you know, is getting booze as he gets, as he, as he makes a throw in, you know, it's not like, you know, the booze came because, you know, he's a defensive player and he was coming in. He he got booed when he was about to make a throw in. So, you know, at that point, I I assume Phil thought like, you know, oh man, I, I this this was this was bad. It was this was I mean, bad. It got ugly. And of course, as they and, tried. But to remember, the thing is, Jose, he didn't. He went to a press conference and didn't admit his mistake, and that was one of the problems that and why Phil Neville is not the coach of Inter Miami anymore because he couldn't agree. He couldn't even uh, um, acknowledge his mistakes and he well, couldn't he acknowledge that, that mistake. They should have won the game by three or four. Yeah, exactly. So I mean... to the end, that was delusional. And for me, that was when he was asked about that, I expected another form of... but. As always, he threw the blame. Murió, murió en su ley. Murió en su ley. Yeah. Phil murió yes. en su ley. He, he, he died by his own sword. Right? And I'll, I'll say this. Look, again, from a soccer standpoint, I think there's there's some argument that could be made for putting Harvey Neville in when you have that depleted of a bench. I think there's some argument. Not a whole lot. And I'm not saying I agree with it. But trying to understand what Phil Neville was doing, I think I, I get what his intention or his thought was. That's what I, I think. That being said, I agree with you guys that the optics are not great, especially when it's your fifth and final substitution in a game that you're trailing in to put in a defender. And then to put in a defender that is your son. I mean, that's just not a, not a good look. And look, Phil Neville's job at that point was to try to win games. It was not about good optics. But reading of situations in games is definitely part of a coach's responsibility and I don't think just generally speaking Phil Neville was the best at reading games and making changes based off of what was happening on the field overall there was games where he got it completely right I can't remember which game it was last year and I remember you know telling him post game that I thought that his substitutions were fundamental in, in turning that game around or winning that game but overall generally speaking by and large I don't think he's the best he was the best reader of a game in terms of how it's unfolding, what the game needs, what's it, what's it calling for. And in this game, yeah, I think he, he gets it wrong by putting in Harvey. Now we do have to talk about Leo Campana's performance in the to... first half. We do have to, we can't, we can't ignore that because Campana has an early penalty kick in that game that he shoots tamely and too close to the middle. It's an easy save for Red Bulls goalkeeper, Carlo Coronel. Campana then has another chance later on in the first half. It's a two-on-one uh, against the Red Bulls. Franco Negri serves in a great ball to Campana at the back post on the ground. And Campana, instead of shooting it on a one-time effort, tries to take a touch, gets too far away from him, and then the, that allows the Red Bulls to, to get back and clear the ball. Just that, that split second, that, that one little touch made the, a world of difference and the ball's cleared out. Campana doesn't even get a shot. I think it actually might have even hit off of him and went out for a goal kick if my memory serves me correctly. So Campana had a terrible game in this one. Not going to point the finger at him for for the loss because there's still X amount more minutes to be played. But he didn't have a good game 
And that was definitely one of the ingredients for why the team suffered this defeat. I think what what is happening with Campana is a reflection of what was happening with the team. I told you there in the game, I, I told you I think the players have given up on Phil. And what the bad moment that Campana is going through, for me, it's because of the relationship that he had with Phil. And because Campana didn't like um, Phil's uh, um, words in press conferences. And, this, and is, this is what you think. To talk about us and said, yes, what I think. Because um, Phil used to say that the that the two strikers that they were brought here, that they spent a lot of money on them and they had to perform and they had to perform. And then <laughs> what happened with uh, Campana's, um, uh, well, your, the whole drama when Phil told you about World and, and, and what we know, because he got mad at Campana for saying that. So I think that relationship from what I read and what, what I could see from the players, the relationship not only with Campana, but with a whole lot of, of the squad uh, was broken already. Players were not getting the idea. Players were not feeling supported. And players, um, from what I can tell, were not happy when Phil talked about after a loss that players were not performing, that strikers were not uh, scoring goals, and that the team should get better and should do better instead of taking responsibility in his tactics. So I think that bad moment from Campana comes from that, and the bad moment from the team comes from that, because uh, that is why Jose and I were, were saying like 10 games ago that Phil should have left since he started losing. He's since he lost the first time four games, he should have left because I knew that this was going to happen. He was going to lose the locker room. Players were not going to believe in his idea. And he had he didn't show that capacity to turn things around. And this game against the Red, the Red Bulls showed it because um, with his bad changes, with his bad tactics, they couldn't, they couldn't come back even though they were playing at home. Jose, so, Jose um, do you agree with Andrea? assessment and her opinion because as far as I know it's not information but do you agree with the assessment do you share the analysis that Phil Neville lost that locker room yeah yeah I, I think you know the, the 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 Red Bull game showed me that I think that was the game where where I thought you know I would expect more from from these players you know um, but I, I I thought they 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 didn't feel comfortable, and um, a, a, and they were lacking confidence. You know, I, I think you know, um, all the you know talk about Phil um, became a, a a bigger factor than you know tactics and 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 I think you know that um, that moment in the press conference where Campana shares the fact that you know they talked about formations and um, you know they. The coaching staff acknowledged that there were some mistakes and, you know, that, that tells you that was the last time the players were, you know, they, they were vocal about it. They they had that conversation and yet, you know, nothing changed. So, you know, players will give you chances and some players need to be pampered and that's the reality of the game. If, and Jose, if you combine what you just said about Campana, right, the comments he made after that Nashville SC midweek defeat in league play, with Joseph Martinez's previous, I don't know what's the right word, but his show of frustration uh, at being subbed out in a game, 
prior, you know, a few matches before that where he ignores Phil Neville as he goes to the bench. I mean, you yeah. started to see cracks, right? You started to see right. more and more issues in terms of players and coaches. And of course, when you're losing, frustration happens. It's it's normal. But I agree with both of you that I do think Phil Neville in the end lost that locker room. And there's many reasons why I could think that, you know, I've I've said for years now that, you know, when Phil Neville constantly points the blame at the players and press conferences, I, you know, I, I think there's times and there's ways to do it. And I think at sometimes he's done it well and, and in a good manner or in a manner that will, will resonate with the locker room. But then I think there's times where it it's not done in the best way, where a team or a group of players or even one player can take that a little more personally. And I think that's, you know, those are instances that Phil Neville is a young head coach didn't do the best in you know within the last uh two months probably you know phil mentioned several times you know uh he said players can't come to me and and tell me we're not creating chances you know and that's something that's very telling as well because you know he's he's not saying for sure that you know players have done that he never said like players came to me and told me we're not creating chances but if that is in his head, you know, it leads us to believe that there was a conversation. Right, right. You can interpret that there the strikers, was. Right, and the coaching staff, you know. So, you know, if players are complaining that there are not enough chances, and we add up to that, you know, what Campana said, after a game in which we all agree that he shouldn't have played so defensive, Um and that's why, you know, during that stretch where they started winning games, the way they they won those games, and we said at that point that, that that was not progress, I think players didn't like to win that way, you know, because... Right, I agree with I you. Think, I mean, why would you? Why would you? If your coach constantly throws you under the bus as a whole, right, yeah. and, and, and rarely, and I will absolutely till the end of me say that, you know, Phil Neville definitely did not take accountability. No era autocritico often enough, genuinely enough. There were times where he said it because you could tell he's trying to just say the right thing, but it wasn't. It didn't come off as real and genuine. Most of his messages were just about the shortcomings of the teams. I mean, you could go back to the, maybe even the first season, right? Where, you know, remember that the outburst he had against the referees for... Uh, what he thought was a terrible call or consecutive terrible calls in consecutive games. And he essentially was saying, like, uh, there's something there's something funny happening here against Inter-Miami. Afterwards, you know, mm-hmm. I, I believe the league fined him. He even had, like, a, uh, an abrupt, uh, impromptu press conference on one Sunday afternoon. I, I'm not sure if you guys were on it. I can't remember. But he was, like, in his house, um, in, in, in his kitchen. And he was talking to us, like, just about things that, that you know, that had happened and... and calls he had gotten from the league and conversations he had, but he also kind of retracted his, his steps a little bit. So, I mean, he often pointed the finger not at himself for the shortcomings, which, and I think that, yeah. that did cause the locker room to lose faith in him and trust in him and belief in his idea, along with the results, along with the results not being there. And I think it's very telling which we'll get to here in a, in a moment in a little more detail because we have to wrap up this game with the Red Bulls. I think it's very telling that in the Phil Neville social media post, 
that he posts on Instagram, uh, a social media platform where I would say 95, if not more than that, 95% of the players are very active on. He gets three messages, three comments from three players there. And usually, you know, you might even see players make their own posts. Thank you, Phil. You know, thanks for the seat. You know, whatever, whatever it is. You, you, you see that sometimes. And you didn't really see that with Phil Neville after he was let go. You know, I think the three players that commented on Phil Neville's post were CJ Dos Santos, Gene Mota, and Christopher McVeigh. Nobody else. Nobody else. To me, that's telling. To me, you know, the stuff that has been said afterwards, the little bits we've been, we've been able to pick up from Javi Morales, and I think it was clear that... that uh, that Phil Neville lost that locker room and, and no longer was able to get the best out of the players. Now, go well, I think another, you know, another reason behind that could be, you know, the fact that, you know, so many players were playing out of position, which is something that we mentioned several times here. Well, hold, um, it, hold, it, know, hold, hold that thought, hold, hold that thought, because that's going to be part of the, the talking point here a little, little bit later about what Phil Neville's legacy is. What, what will he leave us with in terms of his, his memory as Inter-Miami coach. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. So hold that thought. Let's just wrap up this this Red Bulls game. So we talk, I talked about Campana. I don't know if you guys have anything you want to add there with regards to, to the game he had. Uh, we've talked about the post-game comments. I think we need to dive a little bit more into the reaction from the fans because I think that played a significant part. I won't say it was the biggest factor or the, the driving factor, but I think it plays a part. After Tom Barlow scores in that 52nd minute, on a goal in which I agree with you, Jose, it showed that the team no longer had fight, it no longer had belief, it no longer had conviction, because there's an image uh, from the broadcast of that goal on replay where four New York Red Bulls are attacking the ball because it's Luquinhas that goes on a dribbling run that gets through the midfield, starts dribbling towards the left. He takes a shot with his right foot a little awkwardly, and it hits off the, the far post. Serhii Kristoff's on the goal line trying to do a last-ditch tackle to block any incoming shot. Drake Callender's there trying to scramble to make his play. DeAndre Edlin was tracking back, but he slips. But the other three defenders that were... Or the other three players that are in the frame, which I believe were Kamal Miller, Franco Negri, and Dixon Arroyo, they kind of just gave up on it. Like They were like, oh, it's going in. Like They didn't believe that they could put out that fire. If you're a player and you believe that there's a chance you can put out that fire, you're darting towards that ball with the same optimism or the same aggressiveness that those four Red Bull attackers were. Like, there's four Red Bull players in front of most of Inter-Miami's back line. And the only people standing in between them and the goal are Sergei Kristoff and Drake Callender. And this is from short distance. So I think that image was damning. And then after that, of course, come the booze and the Phil Neville or, or the Neville out sign which was held up in La Familia uh, for for a good while. It was also held up at the final whistle and the booze rained down again. You touched on Harvey Neville being subbed in when you know he was checking into the game. Harvey Neville was booed when he touched the ball. The few times he touched the ball, uh, I believe there was, there was one moment he got on the ball, he was booed. Another time he might have committed a foul. I'm not sure. I couldn't really tell. I think there were some boos, but not a whole lot when he committed a foul high up the field. And then like you mentioned... The back-to-back throw-ins on the right sideline uh, that lead to more boos. So it was getting ugly at Drakkening Stadium. There's a video uh, pr- prior to that, after the goal had happened, before the Harvey Neville entrance, where uh, this was taken by, I believe, Beef, 
uh, an avid listener here who, who has re-emerged on Twitter, so shout out to Beef. Uh, but he took a video from the East Stand, and props to him for, for capturing the images, but he captures Leo Campana frustratedly sitting there on the bench, just kind of dejected. And then off to the side, you see Jorge and Jose Mas. Kind of like hands on their faces, hands on their chin, glum, despondent. And right then and there, you can see that they were at a loss. Like this, like this is just an accumulation of frustration, disappointment, and defeat. This is supposed to be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. At least a competitive team in the Eastern Conference. And they're far from that. They remain in last place, 15th in the East. And the losses at home are piling up. So... Uh, anything you want to add with this game or about that before we go to what was Thursday's massive news? Andrea, yeah, you've think... been quiet for a bit. No, I think you guys, you said it well, and um, I already said what I said. Uh, I think the players were done. That game was just a confirmation, and the fans getting out that banner, um, I guess, confirmed to the owners that were there that... It, it was time to, to move on, the players and all that you're talking about, their language, Campana's language, everyone's language. Is, it was it was obvious for me that they had to do something. Um, and so it didn't surprise me when they did on Thursday. It, it was the best thing for the team, for, for everyone involved, I think, even for Phil, because uh, after what happened with that banner with his son and and him going to a press conference and saying that they had opportunities because he considered that getting to the area was an opportunity. I think it was over. It was done. It it, it should have been over before, but that was la gota que derramó el vaso. That was the last. The drop that, that uh, overflowed the cup. Uh, Jose, you had something to say there. I will ask you this, and then you can add in what you were about to say. How much do you think the fan reaction, not just the boos and the signs, but the lack of overall turnout? And yes, this was a midweek game. Yes, the Heat and the Panthers had, are, were both, you know, entering their, their respective championship series. So there's a lot that goes into it. But how much do you think the fan reaction played a part in Thursday's decision to fire Phil Neville? I think it played a significant part. Again, I won't say it was the biggest reason, but I think it plays a part. I don't listen. I don't think David Beckham signed off on that thing. Like you know, he's calling in like, "Hey, let's all right, time to let Phil go." I think this was. This is not inside information. Just my supposition. I think Jorge and Jose had seen enough. They had had enough. They were there live. They felt it all. They felt the ugliness. Of, of what that was on that Wednesday night. And I think they were the ones to make the call. And I don't know how that yeah. night went. Maybe they texted Becca. Maybe they had a an emergency meeting. Or maybe they had talked about I don't know how it all went down. And again, this is just my supposition. But I imagine in my head that serious conversations were had. And they, they were the ones that were saying it's time. It's time to, to make this decision to let Phil Neville go. Yep. Because because I think they are the ones feeling the pressure. I mean, David Beckham <laughs> is is traveling all over the world, and you know he probably watches on his phone, you know. But you know the the Mass Brothers are the ones that are here every game, and so I I think you know they they were ready to make this call, you know maybe a few months ago, a few weeks ago, but you know there there was that 
David Beckham relationship that I, I'm sure is a part. I mean, as 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 much as they can deny it, it, it was a part of it. So I think the fans were were a big part of it, and hopefully, you know, ownership for this team understands that you know the fan base for Inter Miami is different. You know, it, it's different. People here in South Florida, um, they know the game. They know the game, and um, you know the people that were complaining in social media and and in the stadium that were booing. You know, they do it because they care. Mm-hmm. And when you have a fan base that, you know, understand the game and, and cares about the team, you have to take care of them. You have to take care of them. And um, uh, and we have seen in South Florida, you know, how when people, you know, stop caring about your team, especially we have seen it in soccer, when people stop caring about the team, they will just go away and never come back. So um, I, I think, you know, Obviously, that was the right decision, but it, it was good as well for, you know, ownership. And it should be uh, the next step for ownership to, you know, to, to admit mistakes, right? Because I think, you know, coaches for Inter-Miami, the, the hiring of coaches for Inter-Miami, even starting with Diego Alonso, you know, that, that was a last-minute hire. And, and they were looking for something else, but they were so late. Remember, they they had already so many players signed, and Diego Alonso they didn't have a coach, and Diego Alonso came in, and they had. But it's not. Wait, 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 hold on. It's not on the owners to hire a coach. Although in this case, with Phil Neville, they make decisions. Yeah. So so they make decisions. So they they hired the sporting director in that case, which was Paul McDonough. Which again, after the fact, I mean, even before you could have said Chris Henderson was the right hire over McDonough. You could that that would have been a fair point or a fair argument to make. They went McDonough. McDonough couldn't get close the deal on any coach. You know, in terms of getting them to sign on, until Diego Alonso was his fourth or fifth option. So, does ownership play a part? Yes, but they generally, generally speaking, it's sporting That's directors. That's what I'm trying to say. They need to stay away from making those decisions. In this you one, know, in this one, Jose, you're right. In this one, because it's Phil Neville's David Beckham's friend, right? And I, I don't think Jorge Mas and Jose Mas were like, let's pick Phil Neville to be the coach. I think this is David Beckham's influence, and this is this is important to note. Right, because the late Grant Wall, rest in peace, great journalist that he was, he wrote the book The Beckham Experiment. And if you have not read it, go and read it because it is a fascinating read into the insights of a professional soccer club, professional football club in MLS at a different time, and that being the LA Galaxy when David Beckham signed on. And that book shares a lot of insight into what it was like with David Beckham around as a player. And there were so many positive things, the media attention, all of the, all a lot of good things, a lot of good things. But there were also a lot of bad things because Beckham felt and his people felt like they could call the shots, like they knew what was best. And that led to issues at times with the Galaxy. And it wasn't until firm lines were drawn in the sand that LA, the LA Galaxy improved with Beckham and then they started winning titles and trophies. And I think that's what's happened here. I think that's what happened. They David Beckham was like, all right, well, this first season during the pandemic was was not as good as we wanted to be, blah, blah, blah. We're going to get rid of Diego Alonso and, and Paul McDonough. We're going to start clean, but we're going to start clean with what I think is best because I'm the soccer guy. And then he brings in his former teammate, his friend, his business partner. And that's, I think, an example of the Beckham influence or the Beckham experiment going against Inter Miami because it just had it wasn't good overall for Phil Neville which leads to Thursday's decision 
Inter-Miami announces it parts ways with Phil Neville via a press release. Assistant coach Jason Kreiss was also let go. The rest of the coaching staff remained in the current roles. And, you know, there was the usual PR talk, and they talked about Phil Neville helping build the foundation, etc., etc. Was Thursday's news, Andrea said it was not surprising to her. Jose, was it surprising to you? Because I'll, I'll admit, look, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, it caught me completely blindsided. Like, you know, it, it felt like it was coming. But I didn't think it would happen on Thursday. I thought, even though it wasn't, it was ugly. I thought they would give him through the Open Cup run. Whenever the Open Cup run ended, then I thought, okay, then it's then it's over. I, I didn't think Thursday we would see that news. Did you, Jose? Um, uh, listen, if, if you would have told me, you know, they, they're going to give him until the Open Cup game, I would say, okay, yeah, I'll take that. I believe that. But I was not surprised that they fired him. You know, you know the, the most concerning thing to me, and and I'm not an Inter Miami fan, or I just don't, you know, that's that's not my job when I go to the games. But you know, when when I felt the atmosphere that night at Dry Pink Stadium, that was concerning to me. That was like, okay, fans are just you know tired of this, you know. And uh, I thought, you know, anybody that was in the stadium that day. You know, they, they felt it. I mean, it's not something that you can explain, but it's just you feel it. That emptiness that was in the stadium, you know, no energy in the second half. And, and the only reaction that you had was were, were booze. Um, so I, I thought that was, you know, it was just a boiling point. And so I was not surprised that he was fired the next day. I, I thought the, the main the main thing for that to happen was, do we have somebody you know, that would take on uh, on the next three games. And once they, they, they found it in, in Javi, then, you know, they were good to go. So this is the quote from Jorge Mas in the, or part of the quote from Jorge Mas in the press conference in Miami put out on last Thursday. Quote, we are and always have been an ambitious club. Sometimes the path to growth involves difficult decisions, and today is one of those moments. We are grateful to Phil for the dedication and tenacity he brought to Inter-Miami. His positive contributions are embedded in our team culture, and he represented our club with class and dignity. End quote. There's more there, but it's more about welcoming Javi Morales. David Beckham also has a quote. And etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't believe those quotes, by the way. So, so I mean, those are those are the public, you know, relations PR, you know, rosy, flowery quotes meant to, you know, look positively on what is clearly negative news. They're firing a coach. I thought we had more, although not a lot more, but we had more real, tangible comments during. Friday's press conference, wherein sporting director Chris Henderson spoke to the media, as well as interim head coach Javi Morales. But I thought, let's start with Chris Henderson. Quote, we have a competitive team. We have a team good enough to be winning these games. End quote. That to me says a lot. And listen, that press conference from Chris Henderson... There wasn't a whole lot that was said there, by and large, right? Did you guys have a whole lot of takeaways? Was he super uh, forthcoming and and open about things? He kind of kept his cards close to the vest, you know. In the I actually covered 
for our colleague Michelle Kaufman at the Miami Herald because she's on vacation. I covered that uh, press conference for the Miami Herald, and you know I described Chris Henderson as tight-lipped in that press conference because he didn't say he talked a lot, but didn't say a whole much of anything. Yeah, I but I think but I think that piece was was telling. That they think, and I agree, that this roster is better than last place in the Eastern Conference. It's better than last place in the Eastern Conference. And I'll go back yeah. to Andrea before before uh, before you you say your your piece there. Jose touched touched on you know ownership a few minutes ago, and it's something I included in the story and something I I reported on Friday on Twitter as well. I had heard from sources that Jorge Mas had a meeting. I don't know, I won't call it an emergency meeting, but he had a meeting with members of La Familia, different members of each of the supporters groups. And it was in large part to apologize for how this season has gone. And in that press conference, according to what sources told me, Jorge Mas told the fans that, look, they made tough decisions during the offseason, especially when it comes to DPs, so that they could chase a certain someone. And that certain someone, whose name may rhyme with Pessy, was not name-dropped in that meeting that Jorge Mas had with the fans, from what I was told. He was referred to simply as, you know who. That's how he was referred to, as you know who. Voldemort, or what? <laughs> so, but nonetheless... And that's so, so disappointing that the ownership they have time, yeah. you know, to 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 meet with the fans, which I'm fine. I don't have a problem with that. But if you have time for that, then you should have time for the media as well. I mean, I agree know? because listen, we we will amplify the message to a larger audience. You know, not everybody's in La Familia, but I mean, clearly the point was that they are trying to fix that relationship because that relationship had had gone sour a little bit, right? With how mad the team. The fans were at, at Phil Neville. How frustrated they were! Uh, you know how some had started, have stopped turning out, or started to stop turning out. Um, so you know, I think it was to, to try to help mend those fences. Now, for quickly, me, quickly, quickly, quickly. Last thing, last thing, so I can round out the thought. Last thing, so I can round out the thought. Jorge Mas in that meeting, again apologetic. He told them that they expected the first half of the season to be rough, from what sources told me. But he did not expect it to be this rough. So he was apologetic about that. Now, Andrea, go ahead. Because clearly Inter Miami's firing a film level. And the things that have started to come out since then. There's more, which we'll get to here. Remember when I told you that they throw, they were throwing away this season and you said no? I, but I didn't see, I don't, I didn't see that. it that way. I don't think so, man. It I don't, was obvious. They are throwing away this season, yeah. man. They are throwing away this season. They don't and care about is, this year. That is the reason why I don't think Phil so. got fired and Chris Henderson is still here. Because they, you just said it. You just yes. said it. I mean, they and, expected the start of the season to be rough. Right. What, what's, what, what leads you to believe that you know the second half it's going to be so good that they're going to make the playoffs and win a championship? Jose, no. hold on, Jose, hold on. If you're going to ask me that question, listen, man, it's MLS, right? And Chris Henderson knows this. Chris Henderson has seen this up close and personal with the Seattle Sounders. You can have a terrible first half of the season. And you can make a midseason acquisition like the Sounders did with Nicolas Lodeiro years back. And that one player can help turn the tide. And he can help you... 
have a much better second half of the season, and then that can Nate, help you. That can help. Peter player on the, in the Inter Miami roster. Who's so, gonna but, be Nicolas Lodeiro? But that was that's the point. So the gamble that they're taking they is that they're lying. going to sign. The gamble they're is that they're going to sign and playing with people. That is what gets me mad because they made that mistake. Jorge Mas made that mistake, and that is why the team and the fans are angry now because he began promising Cavani, Suarez, Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi, and no one but has no. come to Inter Miami. And now he comes and meets with the fans because he didn't like the banner and all of that, and the team was. A mess, and instead of of assuring fans like we're gonna try to work on it, he keeps he keeps playing with with Messi without saying the name, but he keeps playing. We all know who he means that Messi is going to come. He so he didn't say he didn't say that Messi's going to come. No, outright. no, but he he told he from what I heard from what I heard from what he sources told it. me. No, from what sources told me is that he said that. What you see out there on the internet, what's being reported, it's all true that Inter Miami is seriously after Messi. That's what sources have told me. He said in that yes. in that meeting with the fans, he keeps get, getting the fans, bringing the fans in because he knows that when you say Messi is coming to Miami, people get excited. That is the truth. And there, if they're actually going after Messi, then they're actually going after Messi. Like that's that's like what is he supposed to say? We're not going after him. If they're going after him, they're going after him. He didn't say, from what I've been told, that. Oh, he's coming here, dotted line, he's already signed, it's all but done. No, he didn't. I'm not saying he said he's that. What saying I'm saying the same thing that he has been saying all these years since he became partners with Beckham, promising those kind of players and not delivering. So people are gonna get tired of that, especially with what happened today. They don't they are not getting messy. It came from know, his father's I, mouth. You know, Messi the wants is, to play in Barcelona. So he's not coming. That it sounds like an excuse. Exactly. That is a problem. More than Okay, we're working hard on building a team. It sounds like okay, yeah, focusing we're focusing on that. But we're gonna get you messy. We're mm -hmm. gonna get you messy. So just hold on because soon we're gonna get you messy. So you he know, didn't say they're going to get messy. So right, that, I'm but clear. he excused the bad part of the season and these struggles that they are. These struggles are because they are trying to get messy. That is what he did. That, that's like he? an excuse. That's like it's an, an excuse exactly. And it's feels, like it's part of that escape. It's, pa it's, it's part of the reality, though. They have Campana. Okay, who else is there a DP on this team that yeah, is? But there's no need. There's no need there's for the. There's no need for say that. Yeah. If you don't have it, like exactly. if I'm gonna promise you, if I'm gonna promise you the best player in the planet, I'm not gonna do it until I have him, until I signed him, until I know for sure that he's part of my. That's when I'm going to go out and talk about it. Because if you don't have him, then it's more like an excuse other than, than anything else. You know, and especially when, when the team is struggling. Sure, exactly. I mean, it's an excuse. It's an excuse. It, it's, you know, it, it's, it's the uh, easy way out. It's the easy way out. Instead yeah, of I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't necessarily agree with that. Even though you don't have it. Do they have Messi? Do they, they, have they Messi? don't have Messi. They don't have Messi. Why would you go out there telling the fans... You know about Missy or bringing a top player when you don't have him. And I mean, he can be explaining that? the thought process that went into it, right? Like they, they do, they don't have a ten. They could have kept Pozuelo. They chose not to keep Pozuelo. Why did they choose not to keep Pozuelo? Because they wanted to keep the spot open in case they could sign Messi this summer. It's a decision they made. It's a gamble they took. Absolutely. If it if they don't sign Messi, then they absolutely deserve all the criticism in the world for the approach and it not paying off. 
But if they do sign Messi, then the gamble looks a lot better for them. Wait, so they are if misleading they don't sign people. Messi, if they do all this and they don't sign Messi at the end of the day, so that's fine, sacrificing the season just because you try to get Messi. No, 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 no. I just said yeah. if they Sorry, don't guys. sign Messi, then their Messi gamble fit, then their gamble didn't work. We tried, but Messi said no, so it's on Messi, it's not on us. We're last place, we finished last place. I just said, Jose, if they don't sign him, then it's then their gamble did not pay off and they deserve every bit of criticism for sacrificing essentially an entire season for one player. If, players. Listen, if they, if they don't bring Messi, then it's then what are they going it, to whoever do? whoever they bring in exactly whoever they bring in after is going to be a disappointment. Like no no whoever they sign if, if it's not Messi unless it's Neymar or Cristiano Ronaldo which it won't be then it it it's going to be seen as underwhelming, right? If they exactly. miss on Messi and they bring whoever else it'll be seen as underwhelming. Agree wholeheartedly. You are shooting yourself on the foot doing that, and that is why I don't like it. And uh, I I would have preferred Jorge Mas uh, being like. Chris Henderson was was with us. Like I can talk about a player that is not on my team or on blah blah blah. Because if you don't get him, you are gonna be looked at the biggest clowns in MLS because they threw away their season. They are in last place. They fired the coach, and they didn't get anything out of it. So it's a risky business. It's a risky business. And for me, uh, talking to Henderson, I really liked Jose's question because, listen, Henderson and Phil um, spent the off-season saying that they were building this team, that this was their team. So for me, also Chris Henderson bears a lot of responsibilities with all the woes and all all the things that are happening in Inter-Miami. So he... Which is why when he says... Which is why when he says... We have a team that should be winning these games. It's like, hey, Phil wasn't getting the most out of this team, and yeah, I, and that's exactly. what we need. We need to go back to that. We've gotten sidetracked a little bit. We need to go back to that. Jose and Andrea, Jose, very quickly. Why we talked about the why now, right? We talked about the reasons for it. We think that you know Phil lost a locker room. We we clearly know that the results haven't been good enough with Inter Miami and last place in the Eastern Conference. We've talked about you know Phil Neville feeling the heat and, and how he doesn't necessarily take uh, responsibility or accountability. What will he be remembered for? What will Phil Neville be remembered for? Give me what he will be remembered for in a good light. Jose. Wow, that's really tough. One good thing that you don't have to be one. It could be it could be multiple if you have them, but just get, rattle them off quickly. Um. Mm. <laughs> Andrea, do you, while, while Jose thinks, do you have it? Do you have one? Do you have a response here? Well, I was going. I was thinking about saying that he didn't miss a press conference, but then I remember that he started sending Jason in. So yeah, Jason, I guess sometimes. Uh, okay, so I guess I'll go first here because you guys are having a tough time. Look, I'll say from what I understand, he helped build some processes behind the scenes that were not in place before his arrival. Now, that said, that first year with Diego Alonso, sure, Diego Alonso maybe had some shortcomings there, but it was a pandemic year. Everything was 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 in flux, and it was all uh, a mess overall. So, look, but Phil Neville, to his credit, came in, made some made some uh, processes and structures 
that will will last for a few years, if not longer. Um, so you know he'll get oh. he'll be he'll be remembered within the organization for that. Um, does he get credit for building this foundation of youngsters? I'm not so sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then I'll give him all the credit for that because those youngsters were coming through the pipeline as is. Was he starting to give them some minutes? Yes, but they were more so because of injuries to starters than just because he was giving them opportunities. So, um, you know, I would say more so it's the behind the scenes things. Uh, you know, maybe he he did bring some attention from from England and um, help bring in. Uh, I won't say more attention, but he brought some notoriety in Miami here during these these first few years. He was a good quote in press conferences. Uh, good with the media, I think overall. So. There he was, was there not was some very honest. You know, he was not very honest. Well, <laughs> I think he, <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead. When he was in trouble, you know, he just needed to find a way, you know, to make sure he was all right and he was not in a bad spot. So, I don't so, know if he... So, you don't have any positives to share, though, for what you will remember Phil Neville's legacy for in, at Inter-Miami? Like, not right now, to be honest. Not right now. Okay. Andrea, do you I, have I, any I, positives? Okay. Well, I uh, I guess he's openness to answer our question. <laughs> All right, so I, w- I want to read something to you guys. None. He lied about the Open Cup. I, that, that was a big one for me, you know? But he, you can... he lied about the Open Cup. Oh, so you yeah, can he... see from us three that there's no, that, like, from the soccer standpoint, football standpoint, there's not a whole lot. You can be like, oh, well, he developed this or he found it. Like, from a soccer no. standpoint, there's no. not much to talk about. We're talking about, you know, from the outside. He even tried to take credit for the young players as well. And, right, which is know. what I'm saying. I don't know if I can give him credit for that. I don't know if I can give him credit for that. I mean, really? it's like, you know, Inter-Miami announcing players as academy players. They're academy players. I mean, come on. I mean, how many years do you, uh, the, uh, the Inter-Miami Academy, it's what, like three years, four years? Three years. Maybe three. four. And, you know, the players that are, you know, out there on the field right now. Maybe five. They are like. Came from other yeah, academies. Like, yeah. 20 years. And even players like Ascona started with Orlando City. Like Ian Frey with Weston. I mean. So, so the point is that, that we are saying that most of Phil's, if we can give him, you know, good passing grades on certain things, it would be for Demas Extra futbolísticos, right? Like outside of soccer, outside yeah. of being the head coach of the X's and O's. And I want to read something to you guys that I was shown after he was fired. And this was written in The Guardian in 2021 by a reporter named Suzanne Rack. Okay, The Guardian's an English outlet. And this was about this was about Phil Neville's tenure with England's women's national team's, well, team. And there's this paragraph. I want to read it to you. You guys tell me what you think. I, we haven't talked about this. We haven't discussed this. I, I did not even let you guys know we were going to touch on this when, when I gave you guys the rundown because I wanted your full, genuine responses here. This is a, a paragraph from that story. Neville undoubtedly has an ability to build a rapport with players and to charm employers. He is overall not an unlikable person. However, we will mainly remember the outbursts, the narrative twisting, and an arrogance not befitting a man with such limited coaching credentials. Does that sound like Phil Neville to you after his Inter-Miami tenure? Yes. 100%. I agree. I agree. It's the same analysis, the same overall tenure. It's the same overall. It is who he is. 
You know, and that's those are things if he's going to continue coaching in other parts of the world that maybe he's going to have to address and, and work on some of those those negative aspects because I mean the narrative twisting. Yes, we talked we talked about that on this podcast. I think we we're one of the only ones, and, and we were seen as uh, being a nuisance when we were saying that the Open Cup game was not a victory against Miami FC um, because they tied that game and they advanced on penalty kicks. You know, things like that. Yeah, that that can be seen as narrative twisting for sure. For sure. Those are little things. Those are little things. But you know, when you they say something like that, you're just trying to get take advantage of people that don't know the game. And exactly. Then, oh, that's horrible, man. That's it, it, it is in for a for a, a self criticism. Like hold on, hold on, hold on. In go ahead. Uh, Jose, Jose, go ahead. Finish your thought. Andrea, you're next. Yeah. He, he he was just you know when you when he when he said that you know he was he, he felt like he was in a corner you know and, and and he needed to save himself and for that he lied and he lied to people and that's not fair that's not fair because you know there are so many fans and I don't know maybe reporters as well you know that you know they're just getting their first steps in the game and you know when you lead them to believe something that's wrong just for your benefit, I mean, that's that's not nice. I mean, that's not okay. That's just not okay. And he knows the game. He knows the game. You know, when he said that in a press conference, that was offensive to me because, you know, that's coming from somebody that knows the game. You know, it's not like somebody that, you know, knows the game from FIFA. Or they started playing FIFA, they liked the game, they won a couple games in the Ultimate Team, and they felt like, okay, yeah, I like this. No, he knows the game. He played the game. At the highest level, so that was very disappointing to me. I honestly, I'll tell you, I had a different opinion from Phil before that quote than what I have right now after that. Which quote? Because Which I quote? just thought, the quote about winning the game. You know, when he got upset about you know, um, because he got upset as well when people started telling him that he didn't win that game. That that was a draw. Right. He, he, he quote tweeted me on Twitter. Uh, when I was telling some, can't remember who exactly yeah. it was, that it was that they did not win the game. And he quote tweets me. It had nothing to do with Phil in terms of the conversation. Phil, I don't know how he saw that tweet, but he saw it. Quote tweets, and it's like, yes, we did. Um, you know, and again, listen, I, I want to say this. I do want to say this. I do want to say this about, about Phil. Because, you know, I've been critical of him. We've been critical of him. And I think, you know, the proof is in the pudding with uh, his tenure here, the time he had in South Florida. But... It was never personal. It's all professional in terms of just the lack of results and, you know, him playing players out of position. I think that's what we're going to remember from the Phil Neville tenure. You know, playing players out of position often, which we talked about, us three and some other colleagues, after that Red Bulls game in the parking lot when we were getting ready to head home. You know, how many players have left Inter-Miami after being coached by Phil Neville and gone somewhere else and played better? I think that is a sign of... A coach that struggles to find their best positions. And he's played a lot of players out of position. He's changed, He changes formations and tactics often, which I think leads to a lack of continuity and a lack of chemistry and a lack of overall understanding. Um, so, so there's a lot to, to be critical of. I think there's more to be critical of than there is to remember um, from Phil Neville's tenure. I'll also give you his overall uh, record here as... as Inter-Miami head coach, because I, I did the numbers here for the article that I wrote for the Miami Herald. Phil Neville's numbers as head coach of La Rosa Negra. 
35 wins, 13 draws, 42 losses across all competitions. That includes the Open Cup, that includes MLS playoffs, and the regular season. That is a win percentage of 39%. Clearly not good enough for a team as ambitious as Inter-Miami. But it's not personal. And look, I reached out to Phil after he was let go. I wish him the best uh, privately. I wish him the best publicly. As a human being, you know, he... He reached out to me when my father passed, and that will stay with me for forever. He, you know, Phil Neville is not a, a bad man. But when it comes to the head coaching, we got to talk about it as we see it. We got to call it like it is. And I don't think he was good enough. I think the numbers back that up. And I think, obviously, you know, that was the, the general consensus when it came to Phil Neville. Now, let's move on to this past weekend's game. Very quickly. Very quickly. We won't dive into it a whole lot. Uh, just get get some, some quick snippets from you guys here with regards to the game. But Inter-Miami played at home in its first game under interim head coach Javier Morales. The former MLS number 10, former MLS Cup winner, the former MLS playmaker. Inter-Miami loses 2-1 to one to D.C. United. The visitors score in the 76th minute through Donovan Pines, then in the 90th through Christian Benteke. Ian Frey pulls one back in the stoppage time in the 90 plus 2, so 92nd minute. and But it gives Inter-Miami a little bit of hope, but in the end, obviously not enough. They lose again. Oh, by the way, Inter-Miami was playing down a man since the 7th minute after a red card to Kamal Miller. This was Inter-Miami's starting lineup in a 4-2-3-1 formation. Drake Callender in goal. Back forward, DeAndre Yedlin, Serhi Kristoff, Kamal Miller, Franco Negri. So that went untouched. In the midfield, you had David Ruiz and Dixon Arroyo on the first line. Then the second line of the midfield, Corentin Jean, Benjamin Kremaski, and Nicolas Stefanelli. Up top, Joseph Martinez got the start over Leonardo Campana. Now, Miller gets that red card in the seventh minute. And that forces Inter-Miami to change tactics, to change formation, to bring out a player. Uh, Javier Morales subs out Nicolas Stefanelli, brings on Ryan Saylor. And this was a very weird game, not only because of the early red card. There's injuries in the second half to Dixon Arroyo and Ryan Saylor. The first goal that, that DC United scored was awkward and weird and not the type of goal I think I've ever seen and maybe we'll never see again. Um, so it was just an unusual, unusual game. Um, but just your overall thoughts, Andrea, on this latest defeat in Javier Morales's interim head coaching debut. Well, they lost, and I think I expected them to lo- to lose because DC United is has not been the best team in the conference, but at least they are getting some results. They have been taking scoring uh, goals, so they have that going on for them. And it's very difficult for a team to change coach and after losing four games and come and, and, and win. So I was expecting them to lose. But what I liked from this game was that you could see a different kind of behavior from the players, uh, a different kind of energy from the players. So I really liked that because um, I think it confirmed that they needed uh, coaching. They needed a change. They needed a change and um, a change of ideas, even though the, the idea on the field was not that different. And we expected that. Javier Morales talked about that in the press conference, that he couldn't change a lot. He only had a day of practice, and it was absurd to to, to make a lot of changes. So um, I think the positive thing is that um, they showed 
a different uh, behavior, a different demeanor, and they they fought even though they were very unlucky. The red against Kamal Miller, I told you since the moment it happened that it, it would be a red because I don't know this referee in MLS. <laughs> wow, man! Like seriously, he, he went to the back pocket. And pulled and out a yellow card. I was yeah, like, what yellow the, card. What the, I was like, man, what's going please. on here? Maybe he meant to pull out the red card initially, and then he tried to save face by going to V. I don't because if you go to the back pocket, it's a red card. Yeah, it's and a red card. The yellow card is the yellow card in his back pocket. It made no, also, it made no like, sense. It made no sense. But yeah, uh, look. I, but I really like after that. In 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 another moment, maybe a couple of games ago, maybe they would have lost by a lot of goals. And we have to also say that Drake Callender had a pretty amount of good saves against Benteke mm-hmm. and, and, and other players from DC United. Um, so I think uh, that was positive. Uh, that was positive for the team. They didn't get the three points, but I think we saw something different, a different attitude. And they need to build on that. Maybe, I don't know if they are going to win in US Open Cup because they come in a bad moment in their season with a new coach, with a lot of injuries now. And we are going to talk about that, Franco. And I don't know if they're going to win, but at least we saw a different side of the players, a different um, uh, view. And I think they can build on that or the coach that comes can build on that. I agree that this is a game that they showed well because they kept fighting. They kept competing they try to dog it out right they scrapped they clawed it wasn't a game where they were going to play pretty soccer or even close to that especially after the red card right once that red card happens in partido se difirtua right like it just everything goes out the window you're now playing with 10 men uh you know stefanelli who's one of your more creative players had to be sacrificed i heard his family was not too pleased by his early substitution, that it was him. You know, I, I would have not been surprised if they took a Konomaski to keep Stefanelli in. I mean, yeah. Maybe that's what I would have done, but nonetheless, it was Stefanelli who was sacrificed, uh, and his family, from what I heard, was not too pleased by that. Nonetheless, you know, I, I agree with you in terms of the positives that they, that they fought, that they battled, that they scrapped, that they clawed, that they stayed committed to the cause. Yes, they eventually gave up a goal. Calendar was lights out in goal yet again, Further cementing the fact that he, up to this point, is the Inter Miami MVP of the season. Ian Frey's golazo, the first of his professional career. That was a nice finish there from outside the penalty area. It is up for MLS goal of the week. Um, so those are the positives uh, from a soccer standpoint. Can't it's really hard to judge because again the game the game just went out the window. The game plan went out the window once the the red card happened. So we'll see what Javier Morales' tactics are. Uh, hopefully on Wednesday when they play Birmingham Legion. I know he's going to probably have a a limited roster there, but we'll have more of an idea of what he's looking for tactically because in this game, that all went out the window seven minutes in. Jose, anything you want to add about this game here from an Inter Miami standpoint? I, I think it was just a weird game. You know, it's it's just the worst the, the worst way to start. You know, the worst, the absolute worst way to start for Harry. Um, and... If I'm being completely honest, I think we will never see his idea on the field because I I do not believe that Inter Miami will start the process to hire a new coach. I think they never gave us a timeline on on Javi, and that's probably because they you know they already knew this was coming. They will be needing a new head coach, 
And I'm sure they'll have conversations. I wouldn't be surprised if Inter Miami has a new coach in June. So I'll tell you that. It was a weird game. It was a very weird had, game. <laughs> that he had, he had to start this way for him. Yeah, and we didn't mention that what happened that Dixon came out injured and mm -hmm. seconds after they Minutes. made the change and uh, Sailor got injured and they didn't have any uh, any other window so they ha he had to make the change and bring uh, Christopher McVeigh and Robert Taylor in he couldn't do uh, any more changes because of, they showed, uh, you know, of the I'll, say, I'll, I'll add this they show heart in this game yeah. Yeah. and if, if they would have played in a, uh, like this in the second half against um, Red Bulls, Red Bulls uh, uh -huh. they're, pro they're probably tied that game at least they're probably tied that game yeah I think this that this cements that what we were talking that against Red Bull the players were absolutely done because that what they showed against DC United even though they were losing 2-0 was different to what they showed against a worse team that is New York Red Bulls and uh, um, that uh, with Lewis Morgan coming out from injury and not having a lot of attacking players they didn't show the, the same the same amount of heart of commitment like they did against uh, DC United where they didn't they they got a goal in the last minutes and and they were trying to go forward even though they were missing they were down a man there was a renewed sense right like the, of of conviction of belief of fight um i agree with that wholeheartedly uh so you know i think that, again that's one of the major positives from this game if you're an inter miami uh fan because they were valiant in, in the defeat. You know, they, they, they fought as hard as they could. And, you know, you can't you know what you can't fault them for that when they're when they're with ten players for as long as they were. Um, you know, I, I do think to your guys' point, especially yours, Andrea, you know, when, when Chris Henderson in his press conference on Thursday says, you know, players need to give five to ten percent more, that to me reads like the players weren't doing enough. Like they could be doing more. But why weren't they doing more? Because they just didn't buy into the coach anymore. They just weren't buying in. And then when you see this, this, this fight, this hustle, this effort, this energy, I think that that, like you said, that speaks to to the difference, right? Just a renewed sense of belief, in it, to an extent, or uh, a commitment to the cause that's different from the, from the past. I will I will share this quote from Javi Morales. You guys can read into it what you want. He said it post game. He said it in Spanish, but I'll translate it to English. Quote, we spoke to the players on the first day about how we wanted to change the culture of the team. And one of our values is to not offer up excuses. End quote. Interpret that as you will. Jose, I know you uh, you read into that pretty, pretty well. So anything you want to share with regards to that? Because we've talked about this through our WhatsApp chat. Well, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, it's... It's you know it's it goes back to what we mentioned earlier about you know that relationship, especially with the strikers. I think, you know, um, the strikers were you know whenever the team didn't score, it, it was, you know, it, everything went right back to them. You know, not finishing, not being clinical, and just putting all the blame on the players. And you know, I think it's it's pretty simple. You know, they just didn't want that from Javi, and I think they they let him know and. And probably Javi as a player, you know, he understood that. Understood that, and you know, he said like, like he just wanted to make sure that yeah, things things will change. Okay, well then let's leave it there. We've talked for a good while. We'll come back for a really quick preview of Wednesday night's match, a very short Q and A, and that'll probably be it. We probably will forego the final thoughts on this week's episode, but we'll do all that. We'll do that after this.
time to preview Wednesday night's match for Inter-Miami. La Rosa Negra is on a five-game losing streak in MLS play. But they are two matches away from reaching their first ever tournament final. Or first ever final in general. And that's because they play Birmingham Legion in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open Cup. Inter-Miami will travel for that match. And they will travel... With a good list of walking wounded. Inter Miami's hobbling into that match. A lot of injuries. They'll be shorthanded. Nonetheless, Javi Morales on Monday talked about the importance of the game, wanting to improve from a soccer playing standpoint. Jose, in the last segment, you said you don't think we'll ever get to really see Javi Morales uh, desarrollar or really uh, develop or unfold or uh, show what his soccer tactics and his idea is. But clearly, they're going to try to play a little bit more. Now, they're away from home. You are the most well-versed of the three of us in terms of the USL. And I say that with the utmost respect. Jose, what can we expect from Birmingham? And as a result, what should we expect from Inter-Miami? Um, well, you know, Birmingham, you know, as as you all know, in USL Championship, you know, different than in MLS, there are no DPs. And so, you know, you don't have any superstars um you don't have players that you can rely on to win games and so birmingham you know they they rely on the collective effort and yes they do have players like agudelo which you know everybody will know but agudelo is not the same player that he was a few years ago even before he got to inter miami um he's different now he understands that you know at this point in his career he needs to rely on his teammates and, and they have a, a, a solid team. They have a solid team. They, they, they've been having a good season this year. They had a good season last year as well. Um, it shouldn't be surprising that, you know, they, they have made it this far because, you know, some of the games have been at home. And I think that's the that's a big advantage for any USL championship team. If you play at home, you know, you have the crowd on your side. You know, it's expected, you know, they're expected to have their biggest crowd of the season. Um, they even made a press conference, you know, which I thought it was a little bit too early, but they, they, they had a press conference, so they're getting a lot of, t- of attention locally. So it's going to be a big matchup. And, you know, when, when you have a solid foundation, which they do, and then you have the excitement of a big game, you know, I think those are elements that you see very often in the cup and that most of the times work in favor, you know, of the home team. So, um, and, and to that, we add that, Obviously, Inter Miami is not doing well. They have a, a, a new head coach. They have plenty of injuries. I think this is at, uh, as close as you can be uh, when when you are a USL Championship team to be a favorite in in a matchup against an MLS team. So um, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be very very tough. I I am not a hundred percent sure that that Inter Miami will go through. To be honest, and and it's completely different on the other side. Let's say you know, just just to compare a little bit, you know, the other the uh, on the same same side of the bracket, but you know, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and all you a championship team. But obviously, Cincinnati is doing really really well in league play. They will be playing at home. I mean, clearly they are heavy favorites. I cannot say that about Inter Miami facing Birmingham. Now, from what I've heard. Neither Sailor nor Arroyo will be traveling on Wednesday. I've heard Edison Ascona will go. I've heard there's a chance Rodolfo Pizarro, who's training again, might go. Uh, Joseph, I've heard, 
is expected to travel as well. I don't know if he'll start because of that turf. Nonetheless, that's old turf, like you know, very old. <laughs> it's not. It's it, it's not even like you know the same that we saw against uh, Miami FC at FIU Stadium. I mean, it's it, it's it's not going to be easy for them. And and Birmingham, they they have been playing there. Um, this season, and they seem very comfortable, very comfortable there. So, uh, uh, to be honest, you know, I, I I heard Javi over the weekend, you know, say that um, Joseph was, you know, he took him out because of a little bit of an injury, uh, hamstring. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I don't see him playing. If 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 that's the case, which I I believe now the head coach, the Inter Miami head coach, a little bit more. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the right idea to, you know, to risk Joseph in in, in that game, to be honest. And, and and again, and you know, it's 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 as even as you can get when it comes to USA Championship against MLS because of everything that's going on with Inter Miami. Now think about this: if Dixon Arroyo is not playing, we know Mota is not playing, we know Gregory is not playing, then you know that midfield. Essentially, you're going to have to play Victor Ulloa, which, you know, he hasn't even been I don't think um, so. on the I, roster. I don't think so. I don't He's think not so. even on the roster. So if you don't play Victor Ulloa, then you're going to have to rely on David Ruiz and Kremashi in the middle of the field. I think that's what we're I am see. 100%, I am 100% sure that the midfielders for Birmingham have much more experience than David Ruiz so, and if you're not going to win the middle of the field, you're you're in a lot of trouble. So, Jose, what lineup do you think we see? And then, Andrea, I want to hear your, your 11 as well. I, I, I have one already here, but I want to hear your thoughts first, Jose. Give me the formation well, and, the, and the 11. This is, this is a game for the there. semifinals. This is a game... That can take you to the semifinals. And listen, for Inter Miami, it's probably their best chance at a trophy. Even though they're in a in a rough moment right now. This is their best chance at a trophy this year, probably. So Yeah, absolutely. You have to go for it if you're Inter Miami. Forget about so who the starts? revolution over who the weekend. Give away that game. But I'll say this. I it was interesting to me that Dre Callender felt a little bit of discomfort in his left leg no, he against didn't. Red Bulls. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he yes, didn't. He did. No, he didn't. He did it again over the weekend. And, um, you know, initially I made that comment to you guys on our WhatsApp group, and you told me, you know, I was just making some time, giving having Morales an opportunity to talk to the rest of the team. Yeah, I agree with that at the, at the, uh, that time. But late in the second half in the game, you know, when where you know Inter Miami, they they needed to to play. They 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 didn't they didn't have to waste any time, and he felt it again. Same spot, same spot, and um, you know that was a little bit. Eh, I don't know if he's gonna play this weekend. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, uh, on Wednesday. So I would say uh, maybe if Marsman is available, gets the shot. If not, CJ. I don't see. I don't expect Drake Callender to play that game. And then, you know, defensively, obviously, you know, you play Nagy because, I mean, there's just no other choice. Um, you play Yetlin. You have to play him. Uh, Kamal Miller, he needs to play because he's not going to be playing over the weekend. So he, he needs to be there. And um, I think you play Kristoff as well. 
You have you have to play him. Although I'll be really concerned with Kristoff and the and the turf. Uh, I don't think that's going to benefit him. But I guess you have to play him just out of experience. And then I I, I play Kremachi and Ruiz because there's no other choice. And then I go with the three-one to finish it up. I don't play Joseph. I don't play Joseph because I don't think it's gonna the the turf is not gonna do 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 him any favors, and you're probably gonna risk him, and still he's not gonna be as effective. So I go with uh, um, Campana at the top. Then I'll play Robert Taylor. I'll play um, Edison Ascona in the middle. And on the left side, I go with uh, Stefanelli. And then if things go sideways quickly, then I get rid of Cremachi or Ruiz and put um, Borgelina at the top with, with Campana. I think they have to go back to the diamond. I told Andrea that. But that's not the diamond. That's a, You just said... F- no, that's not the diamond. But I'm, I'm saying, you know, I think they'll play 4-2-3-1. Mm-hmm. But, but in the long run, long term, when you know they get some of the players back or they're not playing on turf, I think they should go back to the diamond. Long term, not on Wednesday. On Wednesday, four, two, three, one. Okay. So I'm going to say I definitely agree with your lineup. That's what initially I wrote down here as you were before you started giving it in a very haphazardly way. You went from left to right and then forward and then back. I, I don't know. You were all over the place yeah. there with, with, your, with your starting 11. Uh, this is what, you know, again, that's what I initially wrote down, but this is what, as you were talking, I thought about it a little more. This is what I think we'll see. 4-2-3-1, I agree. Drake Callender and goal. That back four from right to left, Yedlin, Christoph Miller, Negri, agree. First line of the midfield, agree, Ruiz and Kremaski. The front four, I think, will be different. John, Stefanelli, and Taylor. I think we would see that before we see, well, no, actually, you said it in Ascona. So actually, I don't. Yeah, sorry. So I don't actually even agree. I I gotta take back what I just said a few minutes ago. I don't even completely agree with your lineup. Almost agree with your lineup. I I don't. If Pizarro doesn't start, John Stefanelli at the ten, Taylor on the left. I got. I don't think Ascona starts. I don't see any way, shape, or form that Campana starts. uh, Excuse me. That Ascona starts in a winner go home tournament match for Inter Miami. Just don't see that happening. Uh, Andrea, give us your lineup, and then we'll wrap up after that. I think I agree with Jose with one exception. I think Calendar is going to play. And I think I think we could see Javi Morales bringing Ascona. This is the perfect game to do it. He played last year in the USL, so he knows the league. And um, it will be a, a, a good matchup with him. And if you have Stefanelli on one side and Robert Taylor on the other side, I think we could see Inter Miami having the ball more, creating more chances. So I, I really agree with Jose that this is a game that we could see um, Edison Ascona, but uh, only with uh, that I think Calendar will play in this game. I agree with that as well. See, I completely, never mind what I said about earlier about agreeing with Jose, I completely disagree because I do think Calendar starts on uh, on. On uh, on Wednesday night, um, and yeah, I, I also just have to retract my statement. I didn't mean that against the Red Bulls he didn't feel something, but against DC United when he he went down on one need to be checked out by the medical staff. That was instruction from Javi Morales. Vivesa Latina, Vivesa Latina, a wily, cunning move from the coach, so the player could be tended to, so that he can have a team talk on the sideline without having to have a player come off the field. Because if you're tended to and you're a field player. You have to come off until the referee allows you back on. With a goalkeeper, that's not the case. So while Calendar was being tended to, Javi Morales called the team over and had uh, an impromptu team talk. So pretty pretty uh, crafty, pretty wily there from uh, the Argentine and his 
coaching debut. All right. Uh, I completely disagree with you guys. Let Escona starts. No, no way I see that happening. I would bet almost anything. Q&A session. Let's answer one each. We've got a bunch of questions, as you can imagine, uh, given the busy, busy week and the heavy news. But we'll do one each. So let's go with... Don Cafecito, and this one's for you, Jose. Are we due for another limpieza de huevo? Because it looks like this team needs a serious limpieza. <laughs> uh, not that I believe in that stuff, but, uh, I mean, what happened on Saturday, it's really weird. <laughs> um, give, give it a minute. Give it a minute. Maybe Javi brings, uh, you know, positive energy and, you know, Maybe that works. So I would say let's 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 put it on hold for for at least a week. One more week. Okay, Andrea, you're up next, and your question will be from. I'll combine two for you. One comes from, and we talked about this a little bit, but you get two. One comes from Lucho Lalo, eighteen ninety six. He says, "If we don't get Messi, what would the transfer window look like in the summer?" and Related, kind of similar to that, from always pessimistic Ralph Lucarella. Please discuss where the franchise goes from here if they fail to land Messi, as appears likely. Seems to me their outlook would be pretty bleak as they have failed on all their promises to their fans. Andrea, did you write that under a, a pseudo, <laughs> under a pseudo <laughs> Twitter handle? Like, no, no, I, I'm just kidding. I'm not, I know uh, always pessimistic Ralph uh, Lucarella is active on Twitter. But anyway, Andrea, your turn. Yeah, well, I said that before when we were discussing that what Jorge Mas was talking with supporters. I think a lot of people will feel that way because if you continue to keep uh, edging people to believe that and you don't deliver, um, it's going to be disappointing. And people here in South Florida are not forgiving. They are not forgiving. And when you promise the likes of Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo and you don't get not one of them and you don't get Neymar and you don't get Sergio Ramos, you don't get Busquets, uh, it's really hard to keep people interested. And the problem is that people are going to get mad because it's been three years of the same. It's been three years of hearing Messi is going to come to MLS. The World Cup is in 2026. He will come and play the World Cup, whatever. So people... Get get excited, but people also see the the lie, the hypocrisy in that. And I'm not saying that Messi is not coming or cannot come to MLS, but in this moment, is uh, really lying to people. So the team, I guess, hey, Chris Henderson is or should be working in into getting players and to getting to start with an interesting coach to 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 get for this franchise if they they can can get can't get Messi. Maybe they should go for for a big name as a coach. You have Tata Martino available from today on. You have Ricardo Gareca also mm-hmm. available. So um, then if you are not going to bring Lionel Messi, you need to start by bringing a coach of that caliber. And uh, they have to, to pay a coach of, of that caliber to get the team to, to start playing better, to build something, and to give fans that hope. And for the other question, I guess Chris Henderson has been looking at options. I don't know if any option is as good as Messi because Messi is Messi, but uh, there are some players that are available. I don't know if if they are interesting, interested in coming to Inter Miami if Messi doesn't come because, listen, let's be real, they are in last place. In last place in the Eastern Conference, the worst of the conferences of MLS. 
MLS. So unless you give money, are they uh, are they planning to give money? Like for example, for a player like James Rodriguez, who has clearly in the past said that he doesn't like MLS, or in in that moment he didn't like MLS, and you're gonna give him a lot of money to to bring him here and for what so the team needs to 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 be intelligent in what they do and especially stop stop lying to people stop giving people false hope with with those top type of players if you don't get them because listen to win this league you need designated players yes but to win this league you don't need Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo you just need to build a good team so in my opinion to wrap this up Bring a good coach. If you don't get Messi, bring Tata Martino, bring Ricardo Gareca, bring uh, El Turco Mohamed. Any of those coaches who have had experience winning in, in, in Latin America and in big tournaments, bring a name like that to Inter Miami to, to start giving hope to people and to start building a good team. All right. My question comes from Beef. And he says, we know Inter Miami is very secretive about their injuries and woes, but any clue with Arroyo and others going down with the lineup change will be for that U.S. Open Cup match. Also, what happened with Neville Jr., the son? Is he out as well? Cheers, Franco. So, Beef, we've touched on the lineup, but the second part of that we didn't touch on, which is what happened with Harvey Neville. So, he did not dress in the weekend match against D.C. United. It was because of a coach's decision. At least that's what we were told. Now, there are jokes about which coach made that decision. Was it the outgoing coach or the incoming coach? Nonetheless, look, I think after last Wednesday's game when he was booed, dealing with, you know, the firing of his father from a personal standpoint, you know, he probably needs a few days away. Will he be in the match day roster on Wednesday? I've been trying to find out. Have not gotten an answer just yet. I would be surprised if he was. I think probably still needs a little bit more time to, you know, clear his mind and, and make do with the changes that have happened here with Inter-Miami. And yes, he's a professional footballer. This this is part of it all. Uh, but I think, you know, as a as a person, he's going to probably need a, a week or so to, to maybe even a week and a half. Maybe he'll he'll need through the international break. You know, he'll, he'll go through this through this week not being in uniform and then have the international break to continue to, to clear his mind. And then after that, be back in contention to be on the match day roster. So, and I know he wasn't the only one that asked that uh Lucho Lalo also asked, will Harvey play tomorrow for a U.S. Open Cup? So, um, you know, Harvey Neville, uh, a player that people are asking about. So uh, that does it for the Q&A session. If we didn't get to yours, don't fret. We will go around and around as we do every week to try to answer as many questions as we can from as many different people as we can. I think that's going to do it. Unless you guys want to give a very quick final thought on a type of profile. And then I already did it. So hold on. A type of profile... For the next head coach, Inter Miami should hire long term. That could be your the final thought. Coach, the next coach is Tata Martino. We'll know it. Come on. I I think it's a high. There's a high chance of that. I think you know he's got MLS experience. He's a notable name. He's coached Messi before. He's coached Pizarro before. He's coached Joseph Martinez before. You know I, he wants to be back in MLS. He wants to be back in. There's a lot of reasons for why he might you know return, and it might be one of the reasons why Chris Henderson was very tight lipped tight-lipped and mum when we were asking about the type of profile that he's looking for in the next coach in the press conference on Friday. So, you know, it, all signs point to that being a high possibility, although 
Inter Miami hasn't acknowledged as much. We will leave it there. It's been a very long pod, but we've had a lot, a lot to discuss. We'll be back next week. We won't come back later this week, although there's another game this weekend. But we will be back next week for a pod to wrap up these next two games and to lead into the international break. So for Jose Armando, for Andrea Yanis, I am Franco Penizo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football Radio. We'll talk to you guys again next week.